Dr. Kristen Oja here, entrepreneur and functional medicine expert. Welcome to Little By Podcast, where our goal is to empower you to achieve optimal health, one step and one episode at a time. Taking a functional medicine approach will cover a variety of health and wellness topics, from how to optimize performance to how to balance your hormones and everything in between. This podcast is for educational purposes only, so please be sure to consult your healthcare provider before incorporating any changes into your daily routine. Now grab your headphones and let's go for a walk as we take steps towards becoming your best self. Today's podcast is so good. It is with one of my friends, Megan Kober, who is a registered dietitian and the founder of the Metabolism Makeover, which is a virtual weight loss program that teaches clients how to burn fat by increasing their metabolism instead of decreasing their calories. We are going to be talking about how to naturally boost your metabolism, and it is not going to be just to eat less and exercise more because that is not always the answer, and that can be a super frustrating path to take. So make sure to tune in and learn how to boost your metabolism today. All right, Megan, I am so excited for today's episode. And I thought I would start by uh, talking about how we met because I think it's pretty cool that a patient actually connected us. Yes, I love the story. <laughs> so one of our mutual patients was like, hey, Kristen, you really need to meet Megan. She is so fun. And so I reached out to Megan and I was like, hey, do you want to meet up and have a superfood latte or a drink? And what do you guys think Megan's answer was? <laughs> cocktail. Shocking. I know, right? Oh gosh, it was so fun. We met and um actually it was you that got me liking a margarita. I never liked tequila until I met you, Megan. Well, I'm so glad I could do that for you, Kristen. You know? It's a uh, hard work. So <laughs> hard when did it really important question is when did it switch from the vodka loving dietitian to the famous margarita? Because I feel like you started as a vodka loving dietitian and now everything is tequila. Well, I am still a vodka loving. I mean, I actually drink more vodka probably than I do um, margaritas. I just, it's kind of become, my skinny margarita has become a, a trademark um, <laughs> on my site. But truly, at the end of the day, I mean, it definitely, I, I do love my vodka um, because, I don't know, I feel like you can only drink so many margaritas. Like, I, I like to have one, maybe two, but uh, other than that, it's it hurts my stomach, so... I'm probably giving away how much I drink if I'm like, you know, I have to have two margaritas and I got to switch to something else, but <laughs> whatever. We're just being honest here. So <laughs> I still what do you, love vodka. What do you drink with the vodka? Because I don't think I've seen you post about that and I only know based on Instagram. Uh, just like club soda. That's because it's boring. I don't, I don't like to do much with it. So oh, like, yeah, club soda or like, um, what's the brand? I like Waterloo, the kind of sparkling water brand, Waterloo. I don't know. I've never heard of that. So, so but I, yeah, I need so to try something it. Like that. Nothing fancy. I like to do, I actually really like to do like a sparkling water and then a little teeny splash of cranberry juice. That's like, that's my fave. Just gotcha. like a little speck. Well, I'll speck be honest. I, I am like a gin girl. So when people like vodka, I'm like, mm. that is like literally nothing but alcoholic water is what I call it. Pretty much. Yeah. It doesn't really taste like much. I'm, yeah, I'm <laughs> right. but I was thinking about you. I was listening to a podcast and I was hearing about fiber water. Have you heard of that? I've heard of it. I don't know much about it. I don't, I haven't looked into it. 
Yeah, I need to figure out the brand and get your thoughts on it. But anyway, I totally digress from what we're talking about today. But I wanted to make sure people knew how we met because I just think it's really cool the people you can meet through patients, clients, networking. You just need to reach out to people and make the connection because now Megan's become one of my dear friends. So thank you, patient, who I will not give away your name, but I appreciate you. (laughs) So kind of getting into it, you are the founder of The Nutrition Addiction, which is just If you guys have never checked it out, you absolutely have to check it out. It's kind of evolved into the metabolism makeover, and we're going to talk all about that. But what made you start your own business as a dietitian rather than just like maybe getting a job at a primary care office or a hospital? What was the motivation behind the famous nutrition addiction? There was never really a plan or an option for me to get more of a primary care job. And what I mean by that is when I went through my internship or you know, some people call it a residency. Uh, it's a, it's a year long program. Basically after you graduate, kind of like in med school, you know, you go, you go on and become an intern or resident and you work under other doctors. Well, you know, we work under other dietitians and after going through that, I, it was so clear to me that that was never something that I was going to do. I didn't enjoy it. And I also just could not get on board with the way that nutrition was was taught uh, and weight loss weight loss I, and I will say I'll go back that was always what was very interesting to me I really wanted to be able to help patients or clients to achieve their weight loss goals because I felt like this was a way for them to just really feel good about themselves and feel comfortable in their bodies and that's really what got me interested in nutrition in, in general and the way that we were taught, how to teach clients how to lose weight. It was just, I I mean, we can get into this, but really, you know, throughout school, it's what gave me a serious complex with food. It caused me to lose or to gain weight, uh, to have major like food anxiety, food guilt. And, uh, you know, I would miss out on, on social events and uh, it really consumed my whole life. And, And that's, I mean, that's just a whole other story, but, you know, I knew that this was going on and once I really started to figure out how to approach weight loss in a way that didn't completely screw up your relationship with food and actually helped you get results. I just, there was no way I was ever going to work in a setting like that where the message really is eat less and exercise more. So for a long time, I didn't do anything. I wasn't, I I always knew I wanted to have my own business, but I just didn't know what that looked like. So didn't put a lot of pressure on myself. I worked in some other industries for a while. And um, I also graduated in 2009. So there were <laughs> almost no jobs available at that point. And I eventually got to a point where I decided I wanted to start a blog. I wanted to somehow, I knew I still wanted to be in nutrition. I wanted to help people with their food and you know, whether it was weight loss or just healthy eating and how to be healthy. I, didn't, I wasn't really sure, but I needed some sort of outlet. So I started a blog, The Nutrition Addiction. I was on Tumblr, which is hilarious. I am no longer on Tumblr, but, um, and then I was also on Instagram. Well, eventually after a few years of giving out tons of free content, I decided to actually start seeing clients. Um, And so, you know, started a one-on-one business. Once I saw that most of my clients were very similar. They were all women who had been these lifelong dieters who went through the same thing I did. They were all under eating. That's what was crazy. So many of them were eating like, you know, 12, 13, 1400 calories a day, but they either weren't losing weight or they were actually gaining it. And so 
I was like, okay, well, we need to fix, we need to fix your metabolism. Like there's something wrong with your metabolism if you are eating that little and you're not losing weight. So I took this approach with all my clients and they you know, started actually increasing the amount of food they were eating. And, and they, it wasn't just that there was a lot of different things we were doing. We were looking at their, uh, their their blood sugar we were looking at uh, you know what they were eating every day their workouts uh their gut health inflammation um you know what they were doing on the weekends and uh, were they drinking alcohol and if so like what did that look like just just their whole life you know we kind of revamped their entire life and placed more of a focus on increasing their metabolism instead of decreasing their calories and I was seeing such incredible results that we then, I then turned it into more of a group coaching program. Um, and now, and now I have a program called the 30 day metabolism makeover. And it's really the same method that I was using a long time ago with my one-on-one clients. It's just now all packaged into a very easy 30 day program. Because the other thing that I was really finding was that I had these clients that were signing on with me for three, four, five months in these packages. And after a month, they would come to me and they would be like, uh, you know, I get it. I'm losing weight. I feel great. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't really need to change anything else. And so I had all these clients that were opting out because, you know, of course, everyone needs accountability and support, right? But this, this method was really helping them so quickly that they didn't need me for months at a time. So that's my sort of extended version of, of how I got to where I am. And how this program came about. So you never had a typical like dietitian job. You were like, that is just not for me. Nope. I I did not. I actually got a few, like, so I, I, there was a couple that I had applied for at hospitals and I, I would, I got the job and I just, I didn't, didn't end up taking it because I was, you know, maybe doing something else at the time where I was happy. I kept feeling like I needed to do something in the field, but then once I actually went and, you know, went for it, I I just, it didn't feel right. And I'm very much a person. I just trust my gut. I don't do things just because I'm supposed to, or because, you know, that's what the next logical step is. I have to really feel it and in my body, you know, and it just didn't feel good. So I never did it. It's like, you're a little, a rebel dietitian. A little bit. I always, I mean, I do, I do always joke that, um, (laughs) <laughs> someday I'm going to get kicked out of the academy for some of the <laughs> stuff that I teach. I don't actually think I would, but, um, yeah, you know, I, I do, I, I do approach weight loss a lot differently than, like I said, in what we were taught in school and what we were taught in our internship. But here's the thing. I don't, I'm not, I'm not alone. I'm not like this crazy dietitian that has is like has this completely new way of thinking about weight loss that no one else is thinking about. There are so many other dietitians right now I think that are in there especially around my age, you know, in their 20s and 30s that are not accepting this idea anymore that weight loss is all just about calories in calories out, like eat less, exercise more. And I I'm really hoping that the tables will start to turn a bit and that it will become a lot more mainstream to start looking at things like hormones and gut health and inflammation and food intolerances and all, just all these other factors that come into play when it comes to weight loss. And we can really start taking a more functional approach. We can really start taking more of a biology approach, 
approach rather than just a math approach, you know? Yes. Um, Yes. So that's, that is my hope. That is, that is truly my hope over my career that we can really start to focus more. Because I think once we start to do that, um, we'll start to find people not only feeling better about themselves and looking better and, and achieving the health goals that they want, but also I think it will allow them to have much more long-term sustainable results versus just like doing a 30-day program and dropping weight and then rebounding. Absolutely. And I think there's kind of like three things in your story that I wanted to point out is one, I think it's super cool that the nutrition addiction was started out of a passion because you weren't even getting paid for it at the beginning, which is super cool. You were just like pouring content, giving free information. I think that means it sets you up to be successful when it you didn't start it as a job. You started it as a passion, which I think is super cool. Yeah. Um, the second thing is you were saying that you kind of started this back in 2009 and I know it was really as a blog back then, but you said it's kind of the same thing now you're doing in just a pretty package. So how cool that, you know, 10 years later, let's say you're still preaching the same thing. So this is not a trendy crash, like, okay, I want you to only eat for four hours a day. I want you to only eat fat. (laughs) I don't want you to have carbs. You know, like you are still preaching the same thing 10 years later. And I think that is a true testimony of what you're doing is that it's not trendy. It's something that is biologically based. It's, you know, there is an individual approach to it, but it's also if we all did these different things, we would see such improvements. And so I think that's super cool. And then the other thing I was going to say about the whole uh, exercise more and eat less, I have like a personal experience where I went to the OBGYN because not many people know, but I'm kind of uh, on the fence of PCOS. And so I have to be very, very cautious with my carb intake and certain things. And so I went into my OBGYN and I was talking to them about some of the concerns. I felt like, you know, can we check my insulin? This was before I opened Stat Wellness and had my own practice to do my own blood work. And at the time, I was also running marathons. And I remember meeting with this male physician, and I was telling him about my concerns. And he looked at me. He didn't ask what I ate and how I exercise. And he just said, have you heard of my fitness pal? And he (laughs) wanted me to log my food. And then he also told me that maybe I should start exercising a little bit more. And at the time... I was training and running marathons and I was eating super clean. And I just remember being so mad at the conventional model being like, okay, you're telling me to exercise more, but you never asked. I'm running 18, 20 miles on the weekends in one day, not including like the nine, 10 miles I'm running. And so, you know, now I don't preach. I don't think marathons are great for the body. Um, Is that Tuli? Oh my gosh. Yes. Can you hear her? (laughs) That's Megan Starter. I love Tuli. Yeah, I can hear her. Um, but basically it's very frustrating to be told that you need to exercise more and eat less when you already are doing those things. And so I just wanted to kind of share that personal experience because it's frustrating if you're listening and you've maybe been told that don't settle for that because that is not the solution. Almost never is that the solution to exercise. I mean, I think we probably, but obviously you, you hear this all the time. I'm sure in your practice, I hear it all the time in our program, in just my DMs on Instagram. I mean, constantly people saying, you know, well, I went to the doctor and they told me I just need to eat less and exercise more. And I'm like, when are we going to realize that that doesn't work? Because we just keep gaining more weight, like as a nation. (laughs) When are we going to realize that there's got to be a different approach that we need to use? Right. And that's actually what I was going to ask you, because when you look Mm -hmm. at the statistics in the United States, over two thirds 
of America is overweight or obese. So clearly mm-hmm. what we're preaching is not working. But why – what is your thoughts on why we're really overweight or obese as a culture? I, You know, and of course this is an incredibly complex question, but I think it's – part of it is our obsession with food. Our obsession with food, our obsession with dieting. Uh, and I'll explain that. So, so first of all, if you walk into a grocery store – now, if you were eating real – whole foods and you walked into a grocery store with fruits, vegetables, um, you know, grains, meats, good, high quality dairy, it would be a relatively small grocery store. Right. And I'm even, yeah, I'm even going to harp on like whole foods and Trader Joe's and, and these healthier grocery stores, but all those middle aisles are full of a million different brands of, of processed foods. Some of them are healthy. Yes, absolutely. Do I eat some of them? 100%. I love my gluten-free organic chicken nuggets. I can't live without them. Like I'm not, you know, putting these foods down. I think they absolutely have a place in our diet, but the reality is, is there's such a huge uh, variety of foods that really don't add any nutritional value. We're eating so many foods that are completely void of nutrients. A lot of those foods are inexpensive. So if you, you know, can't, afford, um, you know, a fresher, more whole foods diet. Those are the things that you're going for. Uh, I think that, and, and, you know, that, that can be a whole nother topic as well. I think a part of that is just education. I do think that, you know, we can definitely have a more, more whole foods diet, uh, even if you don't have a huge budget, but the foods that are often put in front of us, are so low in nutrients, so high in sugar and carbohydrates and foods that are causing a, um, a blood sugar imbalance in our system, keeping our body in a fat storing mode, uh, foods that are causing us to have more cravings, foods that are not filling us up and triggering our satiety hormones to tell us, you know, to, to stop eating. Um, and so we're just consuming all these foods all day long that are literally telling our brain and our body to just eat more, eat more, eat more. And so we are eating too much. And then on the other side of that as well, we have our doctors and nutritionists in the diet industry telling us to eat less and exercise more, which isn't working. Um, So even if you have your people that are trying to actively lose weight, like they're not, you know, they're not trying to they're not giving in to overeating. They're, they're really, really trying to eat less, work out more, and they're destroying their metabolisms. You know, they're getting down to where they're eating 1,200, 1,300 calories a day, and they may lose weight at first, but then they end up rebounding and gaining it all back because their bodies just start screaming for more food, and then they start to overeat, and they, you know, throw it all out the window. And um, so, you know... I, again, I think it's a really complicated question, but I think those breaking it down into just like what our actual food supply looks like, what we think is healthy as a nation that's really not, um, and then also just the diet industry on top of it. I think it's I think it's layered. I think there's a, I, and I'm curious to hear from you too, kind of what you think um, is causing mm-hmm. this just every single year, you know, this increase. 
Yeah. Like what you're seeing in your practice, maybe. Right. Well, I think one of the things going off of what you said, it's we're in a uh, time where it's the first time this last decade, really, that we're seeing obesity and being now malnourished at the same time. Yes. So, yes. Which is really sad because we are really overweight, which triggers inflammation. And then we also don't have the nutrients we need for longevity. So it's kind of, it's, it's bad on both ends. And that's related to everything you said, these like heavily processed foods. I really think that marketing is playing a huge role too. The way we market things as being all natural or fat free, you know, those things. Um, I also think portions, the way that we communicate portions is crazy. You grab a muffin and it's four servings and a muffin is not four servings. You're going to eat that whole muffin at one time. Yeah. So even if you're trying to read the nutritional label, you get confused. But I think one of the big things, um, I think a lot of this started too with like the fast food, like we need things quick. And so, you know, food that is fast is not always the healthiest. Like, yes, you can make a quick salad at home pretty quickly, which is great, but we're looking for quick fixes. And then to your point, it's, I really think that it's the blood sugar issues and our gut health that's really hijacking our mind. I always tell people like, I, I don't think that obesity is a weakness. I think your hormones are imbalanced. Your gut microbiome is imbalanced. And so it doesn't matter how much willpower you have. Those hormones are going to – they're going to hijack your mind. They're going to make you think yes. you're hungry when you're not. You can't tell when you're full. And so that's a big thing I know both of us are really – obsessed with is, is the role hormones play. But I do, I think that hormones play a huge role in the obesity epidemic. I also think that mentally we're not as healthy of a culture as we like to think. I, I really feel like mental health plays a huge role in people's physical health because if you're mentally feeling depressed or anxious, I I don't know about you and, and your clients, but a lot of my patients, they're emotional eaters, they're stress eaters. So they're going to come home from work and they had a bad day and they're going to grab a pint of ice cream. That's their comfort food. So, and I think that starts as we were a kid. I mean, we got rewarded with food and, you know, I, I, there's so many layers to this, as you said, it's, it's the way we were. There really is. It's a really complicated question. And I've there's probably things that even us just, you know, where we live and, and our, our educational background and our status that we can't even wrap our heads around, you know, as far as, as what is, what is all causing this. But, um, I do think it definitely starts with our food supply. Absolutely. And also just the amount of money that these brands, like, you know, big food, big sugar, the grain industry, like how much they have and how much influence they actually have on our, our food supply. It's, pretty insane. We could sit here probably for hours and talk about I know. Well, and one of the things when I was talking to a company that was actually coming out with a product, I was like, can you just make a like naturally low sugar version? Like I don't want like a Splenda. I don't want like a Stevia. Mm -hmm. Can you just make a low sugar? And they were like, Kristen, we really can't because we have to financially make it and Americans like sweet taste. And I'm like, okay, this is yeah, we're addicted to it. such a domino effect though, because if we can't start to change our taste buds to like bitter and sour and, you know, all these different things, the food industry, they need to make money. So they're going to try to appeal to the Americans taste buds. But anyway, again, I digress yeah. and <laughs> I could go on a rant about all of this, but I wanted to really kind of get into the hormone connection when it comes to weight loss, because as we both have talked about, like hormones are, they really can hijack our brain. They can make it very hard to have good intentional, uh, kind of eating patterns throughout the day. So I know some of the big ones we talk about is like insulin and ghrelin and leptin and glucagon and all of those. So can we kind of break down the hormone connection? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, one of my favorite things to say is that our bodies are not math equations, they're biology projects. So this is where this comes in, where, you know, instead of just looking at the calories in, calories out, and it's so, it's crazy because I'm on Instagram and I'm, some of these, these accounts I'm following that are, you know, these big accounts with these uh, trainers and these nutritionists that are super popular, they are still constantly talking about how to lose weight it comes down to a calorie deficit. Now, there is a point to where I agree with that, absolutely. But we cannot talk about that until we talk about hormones. Because if your hormones are out of whack, you may only be burning, you know, a, <laughs> a very low number of calories a day. And so, you know, even if you're eating maybe only 1500 calories a day, you're still gaining weight. So we can't look at that. We have to look at our hormones first and make sure that our hormones are in good working order um, and that our body is responding to the food that we're eating and, and firing off properly and saying like, Hey, you need more food. You need less food. Like this is what your energy balance looks like today. So to kind of break that down, we have, uh, you know, yeah, let's talk about insulin, glucagon, leptin, ghrelin, because I think those are the most common ones that we look at and they can, they can tell a pretty good story. So insulin, of course, is, this is, this is a storage hormone and we talk about insulin in my programs all the time. This is a, this is a big player and it's important because when we eat foods that contain carbs or sugar, I don't care if it's a banana or a piece of chocolate or a green juice, our blood sugar rises and our pancreas releases insulin to come scoop it up. It's like a carrier truck. You know, you got uh, sugar in your blood comes out, scoops it all up, shuffles it into our muscles, our liver, and our fat cells. And this is great and necessary, but our liver and muscle storage is pretty small. So when we overeat carbs or sugar, like, and again, this is like you wake up in the morning and you have a, a banana and a green juice, that's, you're, you're over, you're flooding your system with sugar at that point, even though it's healthy, quote unquote, you know, you're eating fruit and a green juice, but you're hitting your system with all that sugar in the morning, insulin is going to deliver that sugar, you know, once, once it's filled up any uh, liver or, or muscle storage, any glycogen stores that it needs to, it's going to go to your fat cells. And because insulin is a fat storing hormone, it actually prevents fat cells from being broken down when it's present in our bloodstream. And I think what people don't realize too, is that insulin, you know, if you, if you're flooding your body with insulin constantly, like you're eating you're, you're tossing food in your mouth every, every couple of hours, your body is going to constantly be flooded with insulin and you just won't ever be able to break down fat. I actually saw a study a while ago. I wish I could quote it. And again, I, I don't know how valid this study was, but I don't think it matters because I still think it, it shows how much we eat, but it was something like the average American eats like 14 times a day. Okay, well, that doesn't mean that they're actually sitting down and having a meal 14 times a day. It was just looking at how many times we maybe like walk through the kitchen and, you know, toss something in our mouths or we take a sip of a juice or, um, you know, we have a little piece of chocolate here that but all those, if you're eating that often, again, you're constantly having these little blood sugar spikes. You're constantly keeping insulin in your system. You're never allowing your digestive system to rest. And because of that, you're never really able to go into a, a fat burning mode um, until maybe like the middle of the night, you know, once, once you're able to clear all this insulin out of your system. So 
um, kind of moving on to glucagon after that, glucagon is our hormone. It's, it's like the opposite really of insulin. When insulin's not in our blood, we're able to release glucagon. And this is the hormone that is going to actually break down fat. So we love glucagon, right? Um, and it's, it's released, like I said, when insulin isn't present and when we have nice, le- nice, steady blood sugar levels. Um, so how do we get glucagon to release more? Well, again, we're making sure that our blood sugar stays steady. One of the easiest ways you can do that is to balance any carbohydrates you're eating with healthy fat, fiber. Both of these things are going to you know, slow down the uptake of sugar in your blood. And also just not overeating carbs and sugar all day long, you know, actually going four to five, six hours uh, in between meals. It's, we've so gotten away from eating meals and we're just eating snacks all day long. So giving your body a little bit of a break, actually going four, five, six hours between meals, you know, going overnight, like 12 hours without eating. I'm not a huge, I'm not huge into intermittent fasting. We can talk about that if you want, but I think even just just like this 12 hour fast, um, which is technically intermittent fasting, but we don't typically think of only 12 hours as intermittent fasting, but just, you know, going that length of time, giving our digestive system a rest, clearing out insulin, allowing glucagon to come in and do its job and, and, uh, you know, burn fat is, that's a, it's a great, it's a great hormone to focus on. Um, if you're really looking to burn fat and lose weight and then you've got leptin and ghrelin, which, so let's talk about leptin first. We love leptin. Leptin is made by our fat cells. And this is a hormone that tells our brain that there is enough fat in storage and it prevents you from overeating. And that's essentially, that's, you know, the simplest way to put it. So it's kind of like, Hey, we're good. You don't need to eat anymore. If you eat anymore, you're going to gain weight. And what happens is, is when in obesity and chronically elevated insulin levels, which is what we just talked about, inflammation, leptin stops communicating the way that it's supposed to. So this is where you, you know, get people who they say like, you know, I just, I started eating and I can't stop. Like you have these insatiable cravings. Yeah, that's, as your leptin, just unable to tell you when to stop eating and, and when to be full. And then ghrelin is just the opposite of that. You know, it tells you, it basically tells you when it's time to eat again. Um, but sometimes ghrelin doesn't turn off. Um, and, and same thing kind of with the leptin. And this, this generally happens in obesity and with chronically elevated insulin. So that was a very quick and dirty version of, you know, the kind of the top four hormones that I like to really look at. But the, the point is, and, and if this is all sort of a foreign language to anyone listening, the point here is what's most important when looking at these hormones is, is keeping your blood sugar steady. If you are able to keep your blood sugar steady, you um, have healthy levels of insulin, um, you're not experiencing any sort of insulin resistance, this is when all four of these hormones are going to work the way that they are supposed to and communicate the way they're supposed to and keep you, um, keep, keep your hunger and satiety hormones, you know, working as they should so that you can really control your weight 
without tracking. Like you don't need my fitness pal. You have an internal calorie counter <laughs> that right. tells you when to eat and when not to. And I think so many times we just don't pay attention to it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a lot of the problem too with um, just chronic dieting and, and tracking calories. You, you don't trust yourself anymore mm-hmm. to, to, uh, to pay attention to your hunger cues. Well, and I was going to say a few things about these hormones because I think they're so important is uh, Megan and I were talking because at STAT we did a uh, blood sugar boot camp where we wore continuous glucose monitors for two weeks. And it was the first time that I had ever worn one. And I was talking to Megan. We went to dinner and I was telling her, I was like, it's it was crazy to me several things that I learned about myself with the continuous glucose monitor on. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this. But one the order in which I ate my meal made a huge difference. Um, And I would never have known that if I didn't have a glucose monitor on. But if I ate the carb with my meal first, and I don't know if it's because of how fast you break down carbs and they get into your bloodstream, but if I ate the carb first, my blood sugar would spike. If I ate the exact same meal, but I ate my protein first, my blood sugar was so much more stable. So interesting. that was just fascinating to me. And the other thing is for me and a lot of the people in this boot camp, and it was our first time doing it, even outside of food, when we were talking about these hormones and glucose regulation, stress and sleep were like some of the bigger uh, indicators than even what we were eating as we wore this for two weeks. So for me, I was like, Megan, I was like, my blood sugar is constantly at like 95 no matter what I eat, no matter what I do, Mm. even as I sleep, my blood sugar is like a straight line the majority of the time, but it's elevated all the time. And we were talking and I really think that part of it is related to the fact that I have, you know, four month old, I'm not getting good quality sleep. I run a business, I get up early and I have this, I think mine is a cortisol issue. Um, so I kind of wanted to see your thoughts from the group. Um, cause you've been doing this for so, so long. Have you seen, have you seen stress and sleep and lifestyle, like some of those things playing a bigger role than diet? Or do you think diet's foundational and then the lifestyle kind of comes behind? Like, what are your thoughts on, on those things? Well, the first thing we always look at is diet. I think it's the, it's, it's just more, it's easier to monitor. It's actually a lot easier to change than sleep and stress habits. And so it's kind of the first thing that we go to. And then from there, if we're not seeing changes, if we're not seeing the changes that we want to see, then we say, okay, like, let's take a look at your sleep. What is your stress like? And it's also very difficult to convince a client that their stress and their sleep is affecting their weight. Um, Again, because I think we just live in this diet culture of (laughs) the calories and calories out. It's so hard to convince people that that's something that plays such a massive role but it does. I mean, just one night of getting poor sleep, uh, it, you know, just screws with your insulin resistance. It uh, screws with your leptin and your ghrelin. You, I mean, you guys have ever noticed, anybody listening, you get a night of really poor sleep. Let's say, you know, your kid wakes you up or you have a, a project you have to work on, whatever. Let's say you're only getting, you only get like four or five hours of sleep. Are you, do you feel like you're hungrier the next day? Do you have more cravings? You wake up in the morning and you're like, oof, like carbs sound good. Or maybe it's like mid-afternoon, you feel like you need to snack a lot more than you normally would. That's that's what that is. I mean, that really is your your leptin, your ghrelin, your insulin. You've got everything that is 
getting out of whack and not communicating properly. And it's all due to that lack of sleep. Now, it's a little more obvious, I think, when you're getting a severe lack of sleep. But what if it's just like a slight lack of sleep? Or what if it's just this stress that you've been experiencing for a year and a half or, well, a year now with the pandemic that you've just kind of gotten used to and you've just sort of adapted to it? You know, you're still stressed. Like you're still having this cortisol response that is causing uh, your blood sugar to rise and um, you know, causing you probably to either overeat or maybe you're not even overeating, but in the case of you, Kristen, where your, your blood sugar is just, um, it's just elevated like all the time. Um, and you wouldn't really see that unless you use the, the glucose monitor, but, um, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think it's important to know that someone like you, who you guys, I know Kristen, she eats very, she eats very well. She's very hyper aware of everything she's putting in her body. She eats more vegetables than anyone I know, but she's still walking around with, uh, you know, elevated blood glucose. It's crazy. Likely due to your stress. Yeah. And your lack of sleep. Well, and one of the other things that we kind of uncovered through this, I, I mean, my whole family have the continuous glucose monitor on too. So my dad was wearing it <laughs> and he would eat lunch at 12 and he had meetings at three o'clock and his blood sugar would not spike after he ate lunch at all. So from like 12 to 245, his blood sugar was super even because he eats really well-balanced lunches. He would get ready for his three o'clock meeting and his blood sugar would go up 20, 25 points just because of the meeting. Oh. And, you know, part of it wow. is, isn't that crazy? But part of it is not necessarily a bad thing because what does your brain thrive on is glucose. So if you need to turn on your brain and you really have to be engaged, like you need some of that glucose for cognition and mental performance. Of course, you know, a lot would argue that if you have a lot of good healthy fats, your body can use that for the same fuel. But it was just it was so fascinating to me having this monitor on for two weeks and being like, okay, I, I do eat a well-balanced diet. And, you know, my dad's blood sugar didn't spike after lunch, but you have these meetings where you're using your brain. And so I just, I think that the, the diet is foundational always, and there's so much room for improvement in everybody's diet, but it's just fascinating how complex this is. And so maybe you are somebody that's like doing all the things. Like maybe it is time to actually look at your hormones and see what's going on with your cortisol, see what's going on with your leptin. Um, I do kind of like putting you on the spot, but I have a patient who has high leptin and really <laughs> low insulin and glucose. Have you like, do you have thoughts on, on leptin resistance unrelated to an insulin issue? No, I don't, I, I have not experienced that. Uh, I'm curious to know what you're doing with the patient. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, so my biggest thoughts with that is inflammation. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. It's kind of the only thing I can think of, but it's really, you know, it's just yeah. all that to be said is like, nobody fits in the same identical box. And so, no, I, I love Megan's program is just, it's fantastic because one of the things that I think has made your program so successful is it's attainable and you can do it long-term. And so as we were talking about these hormones, I wanted you kind of simplifying it, not letting me get off onto these crazy tangents about sleep and stress <laughs> and inflammation, but like what? So you really preach. I know like at stat, we talk about the plate method, which is very similar, but you talk about protein, healthy fat and fiber and kind of break down why you recommend those macronutrients at each meal and um, give us an example of like a typical meal for you that would be protein, healthy fat, and fiber. 
Yeah, so this is the really foundation of the program because we're looking at, first of all, protein, which is supportive of your muscle tissues. The more muscle, lean muscle mass you have, the higher your metabolism is going to be. So we really want to protect your, uh, your muscle tissue and your muscle mass. Uh, protein also has a great, uh, one of the highest thermogens affect food. So which means the more protein you eat, essentially, uh, the more calories we're burning. It's, it's just a, it's a food that takes a lot for our body to break down. It's also incredibly satiating. So we love protein for that reason. And um, it's really one of the cornerstones of the program is like, let's make sure that we're getting protein at every single meal so that we stay full and satisfied and we're not snacking in between meals. Healthy fat and fiber both are very blood sugar balancing. Uh, and, and also very satiating, you know, fiber expands in the stomach. It turns off hunger hormones. Um, healthy fat does the same thing. Healthy fat is also great for our hormones and for our, it, you know, I mean, let's be honest, like fat just tastes good, right? So it kind of gives us that feeling of being satisfied. <laughs> if we have a really low fat meal, we generally don't feel super satisfied. So all three are super important going to keep your blood sugar steady. It's going to keep your body in fat burning mode. And so to give you some examples, um, I'll just like, if I, you know, if I walked you through like a quick typical day, it would be starting the day, maybe off with a smoothie. Most of our clients uh, love smoothies. Um, and what we do with the smoothies is we just make sure that there's a protein, good quality protein, and we're getting, you know, 20 to 30 grams there of high quality protein, maybe a tablespoon or two of almond butter, or cashew butter, a tablespoon or two of some sort of fiber. So like chia seeds, flax seeds. I love acacia fiber. It's uh, yeah, excellent prebiotic fiber, inulin, things like that. Um, greens, you know, we want to add some greens to it or some frozen cauliflower, some additional fiber and, and micronutrients. And then if we want to add fruit, great, but like, let's just keep it to a half a cup. You know, we don't need to have two cups of strawberries in the morning. No, no one needs that. That's just going to cause a blood sugar spike. And what you're going to find when you have a smoothie like this is it's actually going to keep you full until lunch. Like you're not going to be hungry two hours later because you're not going to experience that massive blood sugar spike and then crash. So it's going to keep your body in fat burning mode and you're going to stay full. And you're not going to be obsessed and thinking about food all morning and wondering what's for lunch because you're just going to stay full, which is also a very important part of the program. To, we don't want you thinking about food. Like we want you thinking about the things that you need to be thinking about. And then for lunch, you know, a typical lunch for me would be either, I love like a tuna chicken or egg salad. I don't know if it's because I'm a Midwestern girl, if that's like a Midwest, I, I don't know. But, you know, like a good protein with a little, little bit of mayo or um, I love to use avocado as kind of like a creamy fat, season it up. Um, put it over greens, or I might do like the Trader Joe's Norwegian flatbreads, um, or like wasa crackers, something like that. Or I might do, or I might just do like a salad, like a big salad with some sort of protein um, and and some sort of dressing for for a fat, or maybe some avocado for a fat. And then you know, a dinner could be. I'm trying to think of what I had like last night. I actually didn't do like an animal protein. We did black bean pasta from Trader Joe's. So pretty high in protein and fiber and then added a uh, grass-fed butter to it for my fat. Um, mixed in some greens for some extra greens or I might do like, you know, uh, a meatballs and spaghetti squash. Typically I do, 
I include a starchy carb every day. I didn't, I didn't just include that when I kind of gave you a rundown there, but maybe I'll do, maybe I'll do rice or, um, you know, if I really want toast that day, like I'll, I'll do like toast for lunch with, um, instead of a, a like a low carb flatbread, I'll use toast or something like that. And especially on, on days that I work out and I'm lifting weights, I'm always including a starchy carbohydrate. The reason this is important is number one, if you are actually trying to put on muscle, you know, making sure that you're including starchy carbs is going to be important. You know, your muscles really do need those a little bit of extra carbohydrate. The other reason I like to include some carbs and I don't like to just focus solely on eating low carb is because we're human. You know, we, <laughs> we want to go out on a Saturday night and have pizza or tacos or pasta and if you're so focused on eating low carb all week and then you you know go on the weekend and you include some carbohydrates, you're gonna feel awful. And you're gonna um, you know, you're gonna end up with like a carbohydrate hangover. So I just wanted to point that out that this, even though I'm talking about keeping blood sugar steady, it's super important. I don't want you to be afraid of carbs. I don't want you to completely cut them out. Our, our body actually kind of titrates to the amount of carbohydrates we're eating. So if we are having, you know, some carbs every day, when we eat, you know, when we go out and we have a few pieces of pizza on the weekend, we're not going to, you know, blow up and blow it up and feel awful, assuming that your body can handle pizza and you're not like intolerant to it, of course. Um, but, and we, again, we want you to enjoy things. We don't want you to feel super deprived and then overeat on the weekends. Uh, that's a, a very important part of the program as well as for, for longevity. And a, a couple things with the starchy carbs. If you're, if it's, a, let's say it's a day you're not working out, do you yeah. prefer it morning, night? Does it make a difference for you? Night for sure. Uh, I, and I, again, I know everybody's different, but I have found that most people do better with the carbs at night. Are you a carb? In the morning person, I feel like you are. No, I'm actually not. It will make no, me, you're not? Okay. Nope, I have okay. to have it at night, too. It will make me more tired during yeah. the day. It, it totally makes me tired, too. Um, and it, So it's nice at night, you know, have it, and it kind of helps me wind down and relax. But I cannot start my day with the starchy carbs. Yeah. Well, and there's actually some thought that the carbs at night kind of help with serotonin production totally. and yes. sleep quality. Mm -hmm. So I found yep. that when some of my patients are too low carb and they have trouble sleeping, if they add some carbs to their dinner, they actually sleep better, which is pretty cool too. Yep. So yep. I agree. What if it's a day that you are working out? Do you like the carbs before or after you strength train or both? I, I kind of like it. I, I kind of like both. At this point, I'm doing, when I strength train, I'm doing about an hour. So, you know, before, probably the first year that my daughter was born, I was not doing, I wasn't working out a ton and I maybe go to the gym for like 30 minutes. At that point, you know, I just, you don't really, it's not like I was completely depleting my glycogen stores and I needed to, you know, re refuel. But now at this point, going and weightlifting for an hour, yeah, I liked, you know what I actually really like to do, a combination that's worked really well for me. Before, I'll do aminos uh, and not branched chain amino acids, but like all nine aminos. Uh, I will mix that up with some water, have that before I go and work out. And then after, I will do probably 
you know, f- at least 40 grams of carbohydrate after. You could also split that up, you know, and do like 25 grams before, 25 grams after. But I have found that I feel the best if I do just the aminos before and then I load up on carbs after. Do you feel like the aminos make you be able to work out harder? Does it help with your endurance? Yes, absolutely. I it really, I have been shocked uh, at how much I, I've done branch chain amino acids in the past. And I'm kind of like, I don't really think this is doing anything or maybe a little bit, but maybe it's a placebo effect. But when I've started um, doing aminos, I have found even in the morning, if I go and lift weights fasted, I can... I can easily get through my workout and I'm tracking now too, you know, how much I'm lifting. So I know what my limits are and, um, taking the aminos have made a huge difference in helping me to have more endurance and just work out harder and be able to lift more. And I know you don't, I don't think that you're like sponsored by any of these, but do you mind sharing which aminos you use? Yeah, I've been using, uh, Kion or Kion. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but K-I-O-N. Kion. Yep. That's been Greenfield's company. Yeah. Cool. I had a yeah. feeling for some reason you were using that one. Um, I've had a lot of patients have success with that. So that's awesome. Yeah. It's super clean. Like it's, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, it doesn't taste amazing because it doesn't have a bunch of junk in it. Um, it's, it's sour, you know, it's, we talked about this earlier. It's not sweet. Um, it's not like, you know, it doesn't taste like lemonade, like that you want to go sip on while you're at gym. You mix it up and you drink it real quick and get it over with. <laughs> it's so fascinating to me that like amino acids, they're amino acids naturally taste horrible. So like any amino acid yeah. that's not like mass with major junk yeah. is not going to taste great. And it's kind of fascinating. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on, I have several patients and I don't know who started this trend, but the only fruit till lunch. I don't, okay. <laughs> you know, I heard about this so many years ago. I feel like this is something that was around like 20 years ago and it's making a resurgence. Um, I don't, well, my, my question for this always is when people tell me they do things like this is, is it working for you? How do you feel? Um, what was your goal to, when you, be, when you began eating fruit to lunch, have you achieved that goal? Are you on your way to achieving that goal? I think that's the most important thing to ask because, you know, I, I know there are people that, that, eat this way and they feel amazing and, uh, you know, maybe they've lost weight or they've maintained it or whatever their goal is. But if it's not working, it's not working. I mean, that's a lot of sugar to consume in the morning. Fruit is fairly easy to digest. So I think maybe that's where the logic behind it. I haven't honestly looked into it that much, but I I have heard of this. I don't know. I know. That's kind of my thought too. I'm like, is anything dangerous with having fruit till lunch? No. But when you think about blood sugar stability for me, I know I would feel horrible if I did just fruit in the morning. I would feel awful. I mean, I would have to eat. And then, and what, what would happen to me is three o'clock in the afternoon, I would be craving more carbs. I would be needing to continue to eat. You know, I, I just think there's no way I would be able to stay in energy balance. If I was eating fruit all morning, it does not seem like yeah, it does not seem like I would feel super great. But this is like with intermittent fasting too, because that's probably what I'm asked about most. What do, what do you feel? How do you feel about intermittent fasting, 16, 18 hour fast? And the question just always is, have you done it? What were your goals? Have you achieved those goals? How do you feel? 
had has have you seen any changes since starting it because our bodies are all different and i do know women that are that do the 16 hour fast that feel incredible i also know women who lost their periods who um you know completely screwed up their hormones who stressed their adrenals like so it's it's more you really have to ask more questions when you when you get questions like that you have to ask more questions and right. uh, I would say nine times out of 10, especially with the like longer term intermittent fasting, the results aren't great. And it's funny because people will just keep doing it. Like, well, no, you know, I, I haven't actually gained weight and, or I haven't actually lost weight. I've actually gained weight. And I don't feel that great, but I feel like I need to be doing it because that's what the magazines or that's what the internet's telling me I need to do. Right. Yeah. And one of the things I feel like as a culture we don't do great with is like some patients. So with intermittent fasting, my thought is it does work for some people. Um, men mm-hmm. do really great. A lot of the studies you'll find are mainly yeah. men. And they they are literally, I think this goes back to their biology when you go back, you know, hundreds of years ago when they would leave the home and go hunt and they wouldn't eat and they'd bring food back home. Like their sure. bodies are very adapt to be under more stress and to do this intermittent fasting. But I think also we forget to reevaluate how we're feeling because maybe somebody does have really high insulin and giving their body more time without eating and letting that drop down is super helpful short term. So you cut it out, you do intermittent fasting for three months, you lose some weight, you feel better. Well, it may not be uh, more is better. If you keep doing it, it may put too much stress on your adrenals and burn out your thyroid. And so I always encourage people when they start doing it as one reevaluate, is it continuing to work for you? Because sometimes it just works at the beginning and it doesn't long term. And two, if you are a female doing intermittent fasting, I think it's really important to have some blood work done and look at your adrenals and your thyroid because the amount of women I've worked with that have intermittent fast and they have dropped their T3, which is the bioactive thyroid hormone, like to 1.5. Like I had never seen such low T3s with a functioning thyroid until this intermittent fasting trend kind of took over the community. So just my two cents is sometimes it can work for a little bit, but reevaluate how you're feeling long-term and get your adrenals and your thyroid looked at. Um, Absolutely. And what are your thoughts on somebody? Maybe they go keto and they have success. Have you had people that have gone keto and then like transition to a program more like yours? Do they gain the weight right back? Because- for me, it's like your body, how does it respond to carbs when you start incorporating them back in? Well, if we have anyone who has been consistently doing a ketogenic diet and they come to us and they say, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to transition off. We have them do it slowly. So I have had success with it, but again, it can't be just like, okay, well, let's start eating, you know, uh, bread once a day or pasta once a day. It's more okay, let's first not have any limit on the amount of vegetables you're eating. (laughs) You know, we're not looking at, you know, the carbs and vegetables. Um, Let's start eating protein normally. You know, we're, because ketogenic diet, if you're really truly doing the ketogenic diet, it's protein is not, is probably only around like 15 to 20%. Whereas with our program, it's probably more around 30 minimum. So, you know, we slowly start to, um, introduce carbs and, and more protein into the diet. And then eventually, okay, like let's add in, you know, one serving of starchy carbs, 20 to 25 grams of carbs at once to a meal. And that, that honestly has worked fine. Um, as far as I know, 
you know, I don't, I don't get to unfortunately talk to everyone because it is a large, larger program now, but anyone that we have really closely worked with has been able to transition slowly off. Good. I'm, I'm happy but, to hear. Yes. But, but that being said, uh, keep in mind, like we're, we're guiding them and we're directing them. I think the average person going off of a ketogenic diet, it is pretty rare. I can't think right now of someone that I've spoken to that has said like, I did keto for a year. I did keto for six months and then I stopped and I didn't gain all the weight back. I I truly can't think of a single person right now. So, you know, that is the, that is the true issue with the ketogenic diet. You Mm -hmm. really have to be directed to come off of it Mm -hmm. um, in a safe way. And I don't have data to support what I tell patients on this, but what, but what I do feel like in my mind makes sense is keeping your body metabolically flexible. So like cycling in and out of keto, maybe like do totally. keto for three weeks and then take one week off and do keto for three weeks. It just makes sense to me that we would want to keep ourselves metabolically flexible and not yeah. use only carbs as fuel for the rest of our life. You know, maybe that's fine, but not always use fat only for fuel for the rest of our life. Um, I think that metabolic flexibility is key. So, uh, yeah, I agree. And the same thing, we, you know, it, it makes sense because if you put somebody on a reduced calorie diet for, for three, four weeks, you know, again, like you, th- that's not going to sustain. You have to, you know, cycle in a week of, okay, like let's, let's eat at maintenance or let's eat at a surplus for a week and then, you know, drop back down if, you, if we want to go into a calorie deficit because otherwise you're just going to completely burn out your metabolism. and to stay metabolically flexible, you have to, you have to cycle. So it would make the exact same. It would make the sense. Same, it makes sense to do the exact same thing with the ketogenic diet. Right. I know. And I feel like sometimes there's just, especially when you're talking about nutrition, I don't know if you run into this, but there's not a lot of large governing bodies putting in all this money to research some of this stuff, right? There's no, no big pharma companies. Yeah. And so I always tell people, it's like, talking to you and talking to these people that work with thousands and thousands of women, clinical experience is like a huge component of evidence-based practice. And so we just got to keep talking and figure out what's working for these people and building up our own body of research. Um, you know, I agree. And, and, and even if we do start to get some of this really great research, uh, on these types of diets, you and I both know they're probably not going to be done on women. Um, a controlling for women's hormones is difficult in studies like this. So that's why, for example, intermittent fasting, when you look at all the great benefits of intermittent fasting and then you go look at the studies, you're like, oh, yeah, these were done on women. No wonder so many women are struggling with it and uh, having hormonal issues and gaining weight. And so I just I don't have a lot of hope that we will ever get uh, some of this research done, um, especially, especially for women. Gosh. And that is like, we're going to have to have a whole nother conversation about the way you eat around your cycle because we're getting into that so much more because you can put more stress on your body during different parts of your cycle. And, uh, Mm -hmm. so it's all just, it's such a fascinating area, but I did want to kind of end today with two last questions that I always like to ask. Is there one nutrition myth that you want to bust for our listeners? Yeah. Um, eggs and red meat are bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is so uh, I, important. I, yeah, I, I hear this is one that I have to bust all the time. Um, constantly like how many egg yolks, you know, how many egg yolks should I be eating? I, I, you know, I, I started incorporating some red meat. I know that's bad. 
these two foods are, if you actually break them down and look at their nutritional content, they're, they're two of the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet. So don't feel guilty about eating eggs and red meat. Right. You know, I was actually... <laughs> Choline from egg yolk is like incredibly important for brain development. And my sister oh my was gosh, telling yeah. me about this um, study that she was reading through one of her courses. And it was a country in Asia. I'm not sure which one, but they had their pregnant moms have 14 egg yolks a day. Oh my God. To get all of their nutrients. And I'm like, wow. Think about how successful their children are. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, man, it's fueling yeah. the brain. We don't need to be afraid of these fats. And, um, no. you know, it's, yeah. And then what is, is there one last thing that you want to tell our listeners that they can start doing today for a faster metabolism? Mm. Eat more protein. I, and eat, you know, it, it, every meal, like where's, where is my protein? That's a very simple thing to do every time you sit down. And I think that's so key because I didn't even realize that the thermic effect from food consists of at least 10% of our metabolism per day. Yeah. So it's it's really pretty high. I mean, that can make a huge difference. If you think of between 1500 calories and, you know, 1800 calories, it can, it can really add up quickly, which is cool. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much, Megan. And where can people find you? Okay. So you can find me on Instagram at the nutrition addiction. And that is me that, that I share a lot about my life there. I'm kind of the, the club promoter for my business and, uh, you'll get to see a lot of, a lot of fun. You can see my daughter. Um, but then also if you want all the value in the education, you go over to the metabolism makeover, um, on Instagram and, uh, you know, follow us both and get kind of the best of both worlds. And you guys, make sure you follow her on Instagram. Uh, Megan, I have a handful of people that are my favorite to watch on Instagram, and Megan is one of them. Um, <laughs> so she she is – she. you really give out a lot of good content too. Thank you. So make sure that. you follow her. And thank you so much for taking time out of your afternoon, uh, especially when you have baby coverage. I know that time is valuable. <laughs> so thank you for spending it with us in the Little Bye podcast. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, remember, little by little, a little becomes a lot. Even the smallest changes over time can lead to total mind and body transformation. I'd love for you to stay connected with at Dr. Kristen Oja and at Stat Wellness on Instagram. And if you have any questions, be sure to reach out. I'd love to hear from you.